got sold. And I'm super bad, you know. <laughs> Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings Podcast, episode number 28. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, is the man who sometimes makes me break out into a cold sweat, Mitchell Davis. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Uh, Nothing. Um, We've got a funky, funky show this week. Um, With the exception of the jazz but that's kind of funky in its own way yeah actually it is um so we're gonna start this week with artist chuck brown and the soul searchers uh their album any other way to go then we're gonna move on to uh, clifford brown and max roach the clifford brown and max roach quintet and then from then on it's three albums of james brown the godfather of soul um we're gonna start with his live at the apollo then we're going to move on to a compilation album called Soul Pride, uh, The Instrumentals. So this is an album that really features his band and uh, what an incredible band they were. Yeah, bands, actually. I think there's, bands, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. several different incarnations of, of James Brown arranged groups. You know, he had, you know, the Famous Flames and the JBs and, you know, just different different instrumental sides of of James Brown. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're gonna end with the album Funk Power 1970, a brand new thing, which I think was also a compilation uh, because the book says it was released in '96. But anyway, um, really, Tom Moon focuses on um, the song. So this is one of those where he wants you to hear a specific song, "Sex Machine." But we're gonna play a couple tracks from from that album and uh yeah so, great yeah that's it um so yeah we're getting right into it this week uh so we're gonna start with chuck brown and the soul searchers which uh i had never ever heard of before had you heard of chuck brown oh yeah um the one thing that that stood out in my mind about chuck brown was a song of his called busting loose um it was a pretty major hit on, on most R&B stations back in, in the 80s, like in the early 80s. And I guess that song would have been my first introduction to what is called go-go music, um, which uh, is, you know, just a type of music real popular in the D.C. area, um, D.C., Maryland, uh, Northern Virginia, and in that, that kind of little spot kind of a fusion of, of funk and, and hip hop and, and and jazz influence uh with with heavy leaning towards uh percussion like like kunga and timbali and and had kind of like a certain you know rhythm to it that is that is just all when you hear it it's just all rhythm and, and, and all kind of like this style that it is it definitely is 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 one of those things that is played better when it's live. I mean they they had a great studio presence, but but Chuck Brown, the Soul Searchers, I mean they I mean I imagine I've never seen them live, 
but I imagine their their live performances are just legendary. You know, just just a huge band, all kinds of percussion and, and nice groove, and then you know the what you would call I guess call and response where the the audience is a part of the music as well, where Chuck talks out to them and and they talk back to him. You know, definitely uh, somebody who who is big, like I said, in, in the D.C. area. Uh, even now, still, I think he performs. Uh, mm-hmm. In that area, but like I said, busting busting loose was that like that one song. It, it's it, it's a long song for the radio. I want to say it's it's almost like like the full version. I, I I'm not sure how long it is, but it's it was longer than your your typical song. I mean, it was kind of like a like a funk jam type song, and um, you you hear the the call and response in that song. I mean, that song's not on this particular record we're talking about, but but anyway, um, you know. The Godfather of Gogo is his yeah, moniker. <laughs> yeah, we got two Godfathers on the show this week. Yeah, and that's something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the first track we're going to start with is uh, Woody Woodpecker. It's called Woody <laughs> Woodpecker, and it starts with the theme from the cartoon show of the same name. Um, it's funny, you know, I think depending on the, the age of, of whoever's listening to this podcast... You know, I don't know if, like, for instance, I don't know if my 18-year-old stepson would, would even know this theme, you know? Yeah, that, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 going on, well, not 40, I'm, I'm 42 going on 43. You kind of take for granted that people might not know even who Woody Woodpecker is. Um, you're like, how could you not know Woody Well, well it's like a generation away, you know, removed from that and i mean yeah that's 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 a good point um you know something as you know american and you know dominant as as woody woodpecker you think everybody knows that that yeah. theme song but maybe not yeah know? yeah i i doubt i doubt that he would i mean i i should say and i forgot to mention this. i think i forgot to mention this um the album we're talking about is any other way to go and it was released in 1988 so yeah, this is a a live album where we can really hear, uh, like you said, you know, we can really hear what they sounded like live. I mean, you know, we still can't experience what it was like, but what it was really like to be there. But you know, we can at least hear what it was like. And uh, yeah, so Woody Woodpecker, it, you know, it starts with with the Woody Woodpecker theme, literally, but in this sort of go go version. Um, and then when Chuck comes in with the vocals, he does. He starts with this stuttering, sort of a la Porky Pig. Mm-hmm. He sort of does that thing when he starts the vocal part. But yeah, man, that this band, I mean, just just has killer bass. Like that's one thing I noticed um, when we did. Uh, we talked about Anita Baker, and this this stuff has that kind of vibe, that um, uh, Quiet Storm vibe to it, you know. Yeah, a little it, bit. It yeah, could, it could be. It could fit on that format. I mean, it's a little more. I guess maybe a, a little more upbeat, a little more funk. Even some yeah. like James Brown thrown in here for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I would definitely say it was more groove than than Quiet Storm. Yeah, he, yeah. Chuck Brown could probably go there, but but he's he's not known for that. You know, right, he definitely right. is. Uh, he's more like a like a the the Soul Searchers are more like a party band. Um. I mean, they, they definitely, 
had had very lively, even comical as as this song kind of you know gives you a clue, uh, comical instinct to their music where it was it, it had a sense of humor even at times, and uh, you know they could they could definitely play with the music and and make it funny and 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 made the audience sort of like I said like a part of it where you know they're like hey that that's Woody Woodpecker I mean you know <laughs> and. And and anybody in there who knew Woody Woodpecker theme could kind of all all of a sudden relate, you know. And uh, and I think they kind of did that with their uh, interpretation of of old jazz standards as well, where you know somebody would come in and this band would you know kind of give them a, a different version of a jazz standard, and 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 you would hear it in the groove. I mean, it was different, but it was the same. And 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 that was one thing that that kind of made them famous too where they they would take the tradition of older music and and kind of put a new spin on it and really i i think with chuck brown a lot of his influence helped rap and hip-hop music along when it was kind of in a fledgling state still in the in the early 80s maybe even late 70s where he would kind of rap on a microphone but he had a band you know rather than having turntables I, i'm pretty sure they've kind of you know played with turntables you know in their sound here and there but initially i mean they they played the music you know almost as if you know a turntable had a sample and i mean they they would just replay the tracks you know and and give their sort of spin on it um and i i think like i said i they definitely would would be considered you know you know sort of hip-hop mentors to a lot of people with the the style that they had, yeah, I, I yeah. would believe. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's check out the first track just so we can hear the group and what they sound like. Um, this is Woody Woodpecker from Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. We just heard Woody Woodpecker, and we're going to move on to their track, Midnight Sun. And this one is a little more laid back. I'd say the, even, you know, you can hear a little bit of a Latin influence in this, and definitely the jazz influence comes out in this song a lot, um, a lot more than the uh, first one that we heard. Um, yeah, what'd you think of Midnight Sun? Yeah, just 
really great sort of take on, you know, a, a, a very, you know, wonderful jazz tune. I mean, like it's been done. Midnight Sun's been done by, you know, quite a few people. And and like I said, just a, an interesting, you know, sort of go-go spin to to that song. Um, and and like I said, the 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 way the the song grooves and and even swings. And I I mean, I use that term, I guess, deliberately, where you know, jazz kind of has this this swing or attitude about it. The this song has that, you know, where you know they they. They envelop this song for what it is and then kind of give it their own, you know, sort of spin on it uh, with the way, especially the way the, the percussion is in this song. I mean, to, to me, that's one of the most, you know, telling things about what is go-go and what is not. I mean, because the, the bass groove is there and, and the guitar and the and the, and the the vocal and even some of the, you know, call response, but that percussion it's it's so important to what gogo is and i mean that that stands out here i mean it just you know it, i mean it, it's so distinct the way gogo percussion comes off in music and i mean some other groups have have had big hits with with gogo music i mean trouble funk uh a group called eu that was in uh they they had the song and it was in a Spike Lee movie back in the day. Um, I want to say it was School Days. It was called The Butt. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's that's what I'm saying. I mean that that's just a very traditional go go sound. You know when you hear the the way the horn section was. Uh-huh. I mean it, it kind of had that oomph to it, and, and even sometimes the song could just stop on a dime, and and the and the singer or, or front man or whoever would keep going and then the band would come right back in all together. I mean, just just kind of it, it it was a great, great mix, go go of, of of all kinds of stuff, just like I said, jazz and funk and soul. And and I mean it's it's kind of unusual. I mean, cause go go is a I guess a respected thing worldwide, but it really is is more dominant right there in that little area around DC. Cause I mean when Okay, like when we used to work together, you know, selling music and retail, people would occasionally would come in and ask, you know, do you guys, where's your go-go music? And I would just kind of look and go, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> like like a section? Or like, yeah. I'm like, uh, we don't really have a go-go section. And they're like, you don't have a go-go section? Are you kidding me? And I just, you're from Washington, D.C., right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> this is this is Texas. I'm sorry. We we have some go music. I mean, I would I would look for Chuck Brown or you know somebody else, but it was rare that we would even have much go go music at all, let alone a whole section. Yeah. But yeah. but if you go to areas like that, I mean they they have sections dedicated to you know all go go artists, which you know like I said that for me I, and I it, it wasn't just one or two people. It would be a few people would come in and it was you know. I'd, I'd just kind of scratch my head and go, I guess we have to go look for some go-go music. But it was all mostly regional. And I guess that's that's kind of like a thing, you know, wherever you're from, you know, it's it's going to be whatever is popular. You know, I mean, because we, we touch, trust me, in Texas, oh, there's tons of stuff here that, that would go in other places and people would look at, like, what is this, you know? <laughs> you know, for Zydeco music, for, for example, I mean, Texas and Louisiana, I mean, it's, it's huge, but if you went somewhere else, 
you know, you, you have a Zydeco section and be like, what is, what is Zydeco? You know, is, yeah. Yeah. Huh? Is that like Jamaican music or <laughs> anyway? Yeah. 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 There's, I'm sure there's a lot of regional stuff. I mean, when I was in Austin, you know, there were a ton of groups there that were <clears throat> um, really popular, really big, kind of based on the Texas swing phenomena. Um, and so they're, they're sort of bands that sort of mix country with, with uh, blues and jazz and um, and that, yeah, there's a lot of fantastic bands around that uh, hill country region of Texas. It's really big, but you go anywhere else and they're like, huh, who? Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm sure that exists everywhere, but let's, let's play this last track from Chuck Brown and the soul searchers. This is Midnight Sun. just heard midnight sun from chuck brown and the soul searchers and i'm going to move to our next album the clifford brown max roach quintet released in 1955 um these two para sort of paragons of uh hard bop and uh clifford brown is an you know an interesting and tragic story um you know, this guy was, he was born in 1930, um, really lived kind of a, I don't know, I guess what we would call sort of straight edge, clean life, mm-hmm. uh, in a time when jazz was dominated by heroin, um, which was really kind of started, uh, and you can even see this in, uh, Ken Burns documentary on jazz, you know, kind of started, uh, by Charlie Parker, you know, Charlie Parker came out in the late forties with, you know, and just blew everybody away, you know, with this new style of jazz he was playing Mm -hmm. and his just virtuosity in jazz. And people kind of thought, well, maybe it's, you know, 
And, it, it, you know, honestly, people didn't know about these drugs back then like we know about them now. Yeah. I mean, we fully know how dangerous they are and all that stuff. They People didn't know back then. And, you know, they kind of thought, well, maybe this is given Charlie an edge and all this stuff. And, and really so many jazz musicians fell, you know, victim to heroin. Uh, but Clifford Brown was really one of the first ones that came out uh, that, you know, was basically didn't do drugs, didn't really like alcohol, you know, and and he was an amazing player. And I think people started to see, well, OK, he's an amazing player and he's not yeah. on heroin. Um, but anyway, um, in 1950, he was seriously injured in a car crash. And uh, I guess he had like a year long recovery. And during this time was encouraged by Dizzy Gillespie to pursue his music. And after this, he played with several groups, uh, including Art Blakey that we talked about not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And after that, he went off on his own with uh, drummer Max Roach and formed this quintet um, along with uh, pianist Richie Powell and uh, Sonny Rollins on uh, saxophone. And I don't know who the bass player was. I couldn't find who that was. But I, um, I saw that. I'm Just give me a second. I'm going to find that in just a minute here because okay. I, I saw that earlier this week. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> anyway, the tragic part of this is that in June of 1956, um, he, his wife, and Richie Powell were driving from Philadelphia to Chicago for a gig, and they were in a car accident, and all three of them were killed. And uh, Clifford was only 25 years old. I mean, he had only been recording for like four years, um, and it was a huge loss, you know, to the to the jazz community. Everybody, of course, was just really shocked by it. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Max Roach. I don't know. Do you, do you want to talk about Max Roach or? Well, I I, I kind of want to focus a little more on Clifford Brown. Still, I mean, he um, he was somebody that I was not very familiar with. I, I definitely knew Max Roach, but um, Clifford Brown, I, I really had not heard much about him. And then once I started to read about him, I kind of figured out, you know, probably why. I mean, he died. He was so young. I mean, I mean, especially for a guy that was, I mean, when you listen to this record, as talented as he was, I mean, he was just 25 years old. That's very sad. I mean, you know, just a, a guy who was barely, you know, he barely really experienced life. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, get into, you know, the, the history of, of, of him was was interesting, but like I said, like you said, really tragic. I mean, um, especially the I mean, you know, not just him, but you know, his his wife, and I mean, oh, it's, yeah, it's just just really sad. Um, um, but I think that, and I, and the guy that was on bass, uh, George George's, I think that's how you pronounce his name, George. George Moreau played bass apparently. Hmm, okay. Uh on on this record. Um and and back like I said back to him just very 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 solid tones. Um I I think he he definitely would have been, you know, I mean, I think he's a he's a big influence if you if you know jazz, 
but I, I, I like I said, I myself didn't really know about him and, until we, you know, we got to talking about him this week, and um, you know, but but Max Roach is just one of those guys that I mean, if I think about you know jazz drummers, I mean, maybe the only other person that comes up is is our Blakey, you know, um, as opposed to Max Roach, he's just one of those guys that have been he'd been with so many people um, as far as a player. Um, you know, I think he's, he's played with Coltrane and Max, I mean, Miles Davis. And, um, he was married to, um, oh, her name escapes me for a minute there. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What is her name? Oh, I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you know that that's that's something that um, amazed me. You know to to see that you know he he had a a really really bright career that that was cut short by that, and um, you know it was it was it was a good thing to for me to to kind of get into this because I I mean I never really would have known much about him outside of the book. I mean this is a very very good record. I mean a solid jazz record. It's, it's where, great, yeah. You know, he he can he could be really, really, you know, really smooth and, and quiet and, and mellow, and then could be just really, you know, just. I think the the book talks about him. It's it, his sound. It was almost like it was almost like firecrackers going off. Where he he could be very very fast and sharp on on a tune. I mean, just a, an amazing trumpet player just yeah. awesome yeah yeah and uh, max roach you know he is you know really this can't be overstated i mean this guy changed the way people played drums yeah uh literally changed i mean he he was like a game changer this guy and uh he really opened up the path for, you know, I, I keep saying this every time we talk about jazz, I keep saying, go out and watch Ken Burns jazz. It's on, you know, Netflix streaming, but man, even if you don't think you like jazz, go out, go and watch this freaking documentary. Yeah, this, <laughs> Even, this even if you, if you're like, you know, the only thing you like is, you know, eighties and nineties indie rock, uh, or, or something like that, you know, Every popular music group, especially in the rock genre and all this sort of stuff, they are beholden to these, all these jazz musicians, you know, uh, in the, in the first half of the 20th century that, uh, you know, all your music that you love, all your rock and all that kind of stuff that you love, it would not exist. So if you want to hear where all this stuff that you love comes from and where all of it originated and what made it possible, go watch this documentary. It's great history lesson yeah um and uh you know max roach fortunately for him and you know unlike clifford brown max had a very very long career uh in jazz and uh is very very important um not just jazz but like i said as a drummer and you know in that art of drumming um he really recently passed away just five years ago yeah not not too long ago Yeah. yeah yeah And uh, I know his some of his uh, some of his children 
are musicians. You know, when I was at the University of Texas, um, this string quartet from New York came down and did a residency, the Uptown String Quartet. And uh, his daughter, Maxine Roach, is the viola player in that quartet. And I remember they played this piece. It was super cool. What they did was they uh, got this Max Roach drum solo and they transcribed. So they, they assigned each drum or whatever to an instrument. So like the bass drum was assigned to the cello and, you know, one of the toms was the viola and, and so on. And so they transcribed all the rhythm, you know, from this drum solo and then put, you know, wrote pitches to it. Mm-hmm. And so it was so man super cool. But anyway, um, yeah, that's just, that's just an aside. But uh, yeah, the, I think we're gonna start with this tune. What am I here for? Yeah. And uh, this is a real typical hard bop tune. I mean, it's um, very fast. So it has it features this real fast walking bass. Um, you know, and these heads. When I said when I talk about heads, you know, a jazz tune consists of a head which is like the very beginning where everything's sort of written out it's almost like the main melody or idea of the piece and then mm-hmm. then it'll go into all these sections of improvisation and then it'll end with the head again and these heads you know are really exciting i mean they're, they're sort of you know these fast melodic lines that sort of jump around and register and they're usually done in unison by the trumpet and saxophone together mm-hmm. it's really cool sound um, what do you think of this one? Um, I agree with you. Very, very cool sound. Very clear recording. I mean, yeah, that that's one thing that I mean, you you kind of I mean take that for granted nowadays with the way technology is. This is one of the clearest jazz recordings I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it, it's just it's so nice. It's so you know well done. And I mean, you know. Max is just one of those guys that he had this great sort of, you know, rhythmic attack. I mean, on this record, it's it's somewhat more reserved than some of his other recordings where, I mean, he just sounds like he's annihilating his drums. I mean, but but in a rhythmic sense, you know, where, you know, he's it's it's not like he's Keith Moon or anything. But, you know, I mean, because I, I not that I don't love Keith Moon. I, I love him, too. But. Uh, I mean, Max was was just such a a great mind for playing drums and 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 how rhythm would sound and 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 how to be hard but soft. I mean, just so many things going on with him. And by the way, by about his 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 wife, one of his wives, Abby Lincoln. That okay. he was married to married to her anyway. I had that stuck in my head. I'm I'm sorry. It's just one of those things that was going on. I was like, I know her. Why do, why can't I remember her name anyway? Um, and in this track, I just I I love it because, like you said, the the improvisation kind of in between the heads is just is just wonderful. Um, you know, just a nice you know mix of you know the the talent on on every end from you know. The, the trumpet solo to the you know some of the bass and, and obviously Max's improvisation on drums you know like I said this is just a very very good record um, you know very glad to be exposed to it um, you know I I don't listen to a lot of you know older bebop stuff but when I do I mean 
and, and it's like this, I'm, I'm always grateful. I mean, this is just a very solid record, you know, and again about uh, Clifford, just, you know, really, really sad that, that his life ended so soon. I wish he had got gotten to live longer. I mean, I'm sure he, he did, he would have wished that too, but um, you know, so very, I mean, 25 years old, you know, and and so good at twenty five, yeah. you know, just you know. Anyway, yeah, that reminded me of uh, the most interesting man in the world. What you just said, he said uh, I don't often listen to a lot of old hard bop, but when I do, <laughs> I make it Clifford Brown. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So who's Abby Lincoln? Uh, jazz vocalist was uh, married to Max Roach for. A number of years uh she she passed away not too long ago as well um she um had some stuff that she did with max uh when he was with impulse records that i i've i've listened to and i, and I love a lot and then she had her own uh you know career as well as, as a singer i mean you know she's she's had quite a few records i think the last record label she was on was verve records and um you know they they were together i'm not sure how long they were married but they they recorded together they were married together i, I want to say they have they have children um looking at max's his history um he's definitely got kids i, I don't know yeah let's see no his first marriage with uh mildred and uh I'm reading now as i Look at Max's life here. <laughs> well, but, I was, uh, while you're reading that, I was going to um, just comment a, a little bit on because uh, uh, part of this excerpt I'm going to play from what am I here for, I'm going to play part of Max Roach's drum solo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, the thing I love about Max Roach, you know, like if you compare him to somebody like Buddy Rich or something, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. The jazz drummer Buddy Rich. You know, Buddy Rich usually seemed, I mean, he was also a brilliant drummer and, of course, had a a big influence on a lot of drummers, a lot of different genres. But Buddy Rich seemed, when he would take drum solos, it would seem to be like this sort of bombastic display of drumming virtuosity, you know. Mm -hmm. And Max Roach, I mean, he's just as much a virtuoso as Buddy Rich, but it seems like there's a lot more thought putting into, you know, put into... Uh, the musicality of the solo by Mac by uh, uh, Max Roach. You know, uh, he has a lot of thought for, uh, to musical phrasing and making the drum solo musical. You know, not just a bombastic display of virtuosity. You know. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. He he could he could be very heavy handed, but but not always. And I mean he he had great interpretation. And I mean I I, I definitely you know could. I understand what you're saying with that, where he he could he could take the drums and 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 you know put emphasis on certain things, you know, as as far as power, and then you know you know build up on on certain other things in a song. I mean, he he was a uh, you know a great jazz mind for drums for sure. I mean, you know, because he like I said, he he was an amazing drummer when it came to just being you know hard on drums and powerful but he also could be you know you know extraordinary when it came to rhythm and 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 just being 
subtle at times with with certain other things. I mean, you know, he he had all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, just a, a giant when it comes to yeah. to jazz drumming. For sure, man. Well, let's check this out. Um, this first track uh, from this album. Well, I guess the album is just called the Clifford Brown and Max Roach Quintet. Uh, this is What Am I Here For? <laughs> And we just heard What Am I Here For from Clifford Brown and Max Roach. And we're going to move on to their tune Parisian Thoroughfare. Um, I just thought this was interesting because I, I think it was kind of a, a different thing for jazz. You know, the head goes through uh, all these sort of really complex rhythmic and tempo shifts, you know, really all performed on a dime. But it starts off with this music that kind of depicts a busy Paris street, you know, complete with random car horns. And, <laughs> that's a, that's a good, good description. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> um, and yeah. And then, and then it sort of breaks into, <clears throat> you know, fast paced, hard bop thing. Then it sort of goes back to this uh, original idea and then it goes into the solos, but it, it's a complex tune and, and uh, man, it's just so cool. I mean, and yeah. what do you think? Of yeah, this? I agree. This, like you said, a, a complex tune where, I mean, it, it's very busy at the, at the, at the beginning where you're like, man, I mean, it, the, the playing and, and the notes as they flow, I mean, they're so intricate. And I mean, you know, the, like I said, the, the level of talent on this, on this record is, is, is amazing. I mean, they, they were very good players I mean, they, they seem like they, they loved what they were doing. And I mean, like you said, this, this song has, is, it's just got like, you know, you know, busy, busy traffic of, a you know, you know, large Metro city all written all over it. I mean, the way it plays and, uh, you know, just, just love the tune, um, you know, love the chemistry, you know, of the band where they they just seem to have have one mind almost in the in the way they're playing um just just really really nice 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I um, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I, like I said, I, I, I'm back on on Abby Lincoln. This, you know, she, she no no children of Max Roach. Uh, just out of respect to her, she passed away just a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, just great singer, uh, great actress. Apparently, you know, I. I, I definitely wanted to give some respect to her, you know, as as we kind of brought her up. Uh, looks like Max had been married like three times, but back back on the this song, um, you know, just a, a a really nice balance, you know, of the way the a jazz band can be when you have good chemistry, you know, good players. I mean. Cause I mean, like you said, this this song is 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 got all all kinds of stuff going on. It's, it's very 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 intricate in the way it was it was played and put together, and um, you know just just extraordinary talent um, on this record. For sure. All right. Well, let's check it out. This last tune from Clifford Brown and Max Roach. This is Parisian Thoroughfare. just heard Parisian Thoroughfare and we're going to move on to uh, not our final album but our final artist of uh, the day James Brown we're going to start with his album Live at the Apollo 
from 1962. And uh, this is just, you know, one of the greatest examples of a live album probably ever recorded. Um, and, you know, if you're going to perform, if you're going to headline at the Apollo Theater, um, you better be on. And they were really on. Um, yep. Um, Apollo audiences are, are notorious for letting you know when you suck, apparently. <laughs> uh, just uh, It was just one of those things. I mean, the, the Apollo Theater in Harlem, legendary theater. I mean, some really great names have gone out on that theater and, and got run out of there because they, they didn't have their stuff together. And um, apparently James had been really, really practicing very, very intensely for, for this show. Um, knowing that it could be like a make or break situation because, you know, James Brown at that time, I mean, he was an established, you know, artist, road artist even, where he, you know, would sell out places every night, but he knew that this Apollo theater gig, you know, I, I don't even know if he knew how how big it was gonna be, but I, I'm I'm sure he he expected something major after this, and it was. I mean, it was, I mean, a huge turning point for for James Brown. I mean, this show made him. I mean, uh, I mean, just a legend. I mean, I mean, he was already popular, but I mean, the way they the way they sounded. I mean. James is already an amazing, you know, artist in the studio, but he he brought just he brought everything to a whole nother level live. I mean, with the performance as far as the music and then the way the the band, you know, would would move with him and then his singers, the the, the flames would would dance along. I mean, they they had dance steps that were just impeccable. I mean, obviously James up front, I mean, was just I mean his his dance moves were I mean they're they're copied you know even now you know yeah yeah by yeah. people today I mean you know Mick Jagger of all people said that when he first saw James Brown you know move he said he he tried to to dance like that he said it it was just one of those things that he couldn't but he he said he, even he was influenced by by James Brown uh, and the way he danced I mean. Um, I mean, this, this recording, I mean, is, I mean, when you listen to it and in the way the audience, you know, reacted to him, I mean, it, it must've been crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. You can hear just, <laughs> you can hear just a pretty constant screaming through this whole record <laughs> oh, yeah. from the crowd. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're going nuts. Um, and, uh, we're going to start with this tune called lost someone. Um, you know, and this is a really a, a more low key kind of ballady thing. You know that you don't usually think of. You know, when you think of James Brown, but in this tune, I think he he really proves that you know how well he can sing. Oh just, yeah, just really sing in, in a sort of a tender way, and you know, not just shout. You know, the guy can really sing. Yeah, that's like a, a, a one school of thought that that a lot of people feel like James really doesn't sing. You know, he's not a singer. And I'm like, no, James is he's not just a singer. I mean, he's I would what I would consider a crooner uh, where he mm -hmm. 
he I mean, there are moments where he has this audience, especially the ladies in this audience, in the palm of his yeah, hand. Yeah, just spellbound. Yeah, you can, where you can, you can he, hear it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he could croon. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, like Frank Sinatra and, and a lot of other people that, you know, you, you consider the, the, the old school traditional crooners. He could do that and more where, I mean, he had like a, a soulful croon. You know, I mean, he just he just had such a charisma about him. And, um, you know, I, I definitely consider James a great singer, you know, slash performer, you know, musician, dancer. I mean, he wore a lot of hats. I mean, you know, just, you know, the the hardest working man in show business, you know, moniker that he gets. That's, you know, that's that's very, very real. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, and and I I I think that this um, this recording is is definitely, I mean, considered by a lot of people one of the greatest live recordings, you know, ever. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, looking at it here, uh, you know, it was one of the fifth recordings chosen, um, in I guess in two thousand four by the Library of Congress, um, National Recording registry i mean rolling stones you know list of 500 greatest albums of all time you know on and on just all sorts of things going on where this record was just a a great example of of how how tough james brown was i mean as far as a a rhythm king and a a musician and you know on and on (laughs) yeah yeah man let's check it out Cool. This is uh, James Brown with Lost Someone. I said, I believe me, I go crazy. Cause I know it's true now. You got the power. And I want you to try me. Cause I don't mind. Don't leave me bewildered. Cause this old heart can't stand no more. And I believe me. I believe me. There's only one thing I can do now There's only one thing I can say There's only one thing I can do now There's only one thing I can say There's only one thing I can say I lost someone My love Someone Who's greater than a star? Someone Money Someone Who don't let my heart Bleed Someone That's the one that's a someone That's a someone That I love Don't go to strangers Come on home to me I love you tomorrow I love you today Help me, help me, 
James Brown with Lost Someone, and we're going to move on to Think. And uh, this one is definitely what I more more of what I associate, and probably most people associate with uh, James Brown. You know, this real high energy um, tune. You know that uh, this one features this just really incredible band. I mean, you won't find many tighter bands really in any decade of popular music. You know than his band here and his bands you know in, in subsequent years um yeah what do you think of think um just great the the way when you when you hear think like the original version of it like the studio version it almost has like a kind of a moderate you know jazz swing to it and and here he takes it up to such a higher level where it's so much faster and so much tighter. And, and like you said, his band is, they are on it. I mean, you know, where they, they seem like they're, they're unflappable. There is no mistakes. I mean, James probably can hear some mistakes, but I mean, from, from my point of view, I mean, they, they sound like they are on it. Like they are just perfect in the, in the way that they're, they're all together. The the sync of this song, I mean, just just awesome. And I mean, you know, listening to the record is one thing, but watching James on stage and and watching him dance to this song, especially as fast paced as the song is, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, I imagine James, you know, had to have you know uh, such a regiment of of taking care of himself back in the day where i mean he was almost like an athlete you know yeah 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 and and i i know that you know james did he didn't always take care of himself i mean he he kind of got you know in his later years where he was you know you know on drugs and other things but back in the day i mean they they were so tough and he was so with it i mean i i i guess it's just you know maybe in the genes I'm not sure, but I mean, but James was, he was just like a monster. I mean, you know, to, to be able to do all that stuff. And, and I mean, when we talk about the next couple of records, you know, also, you know, being a singer, which, you know, most people don't think of about James too much as being a singer is, is his musicianship. I mean, he could play drums and organ. He was an amazing organ player. I mean, you know, just, he was awesome on, like I, what I call a church organ, I guess, or the or Hammond B three, and he was he was an amazing organ player, and uh, you know, every once in a while would kind of you know jump off from being front man and dancing to you know you know playing an, an instrument here or there, and, and then just wowing you there too. Just you know, you would I imagine you would get your money's worth when you go see James <laughs> Brown, especially For sure. especially on a setting like this where you know it. it 
it was just it was just blowing people probably right to the back of the theater where they I'm sure they they knew it was going to be good, but probably not this good where I mean, it, it was just an awesome, frantic performance through some of the songs like the like the medley on this album. Yeah, where yeah. He just jumps from from song to song. And I mean, just and in time and I mean, just just incredible. Yeah. Well, that's how the entire concert went. Right. I mean, there's yeah. no break anywhere. It's just once it start, it just kept going until the very end. You know, there is no break. It's just constant. Um, yeah, just yeah. amazing. Um, let's check out this uh, second track from Live at the Apollo. This is Think. <laughs> And we just heard Think by James Brown, Live at the Apollo 1962. And we're going to move on to our second James Brown album, Soul Pride, the Instrumentals, 1960-1969. This was a compilation released in 1992. And as Mitch and I found out when we were, you know, searching for the music this week, is that this apparently, this uh, compilation of instrumentals is currently out of print and I think has been out of print for a while, but I saw on Amazon that you can get a new CD of this for the low, low price of $150. <laughs> <laughs> um, but fortunately, uh, James released so many albums and compilations that we were able to find most of these songs you know, on, on other albums. Um, so you can find these songs. They're just, you're probably not going to be able to find this particular album, but yeah. Um, unless you go somewhere where they, they maybe have a used copy and yeah, you know, the, they just, they, they don't realize what, what they have. I know that kind of in that period in the early nineties, the, the label that was handling a lot of uh, James's stuff, I want to say, I guess it was one of the polygram or polydor they they just flooded the market with a bunch of James's old stuff that had been out of print and I guess this is one of those records that kind of came out for a minute and when it didn't you know sell I guess like the label wanted it to they maybe pulled it back out of print I, I'm not really sure what happened but I know that all of a sudden there was this ton of James Brown records I was just like 
I was drooling, you know, <laughs> thinking like, man, all these, especially like some of his old, like, like old soundtracks uh, that had been, I mean, the only way you could find them was like finding like a vinyl copy. Some of these hadn't been, hadn't been released on CD at all. And uh, yeah. this was, I think, one of the ones that came out where, you know, you just got to see a side of James that was, you know, mostly about the music. I mean, you know, and, and how great a band or and, and, and I say band, how great his bands were, because I think there there are different versions of, of sort of like James Brown bands. I mean, like, you know, like, yeah, like I talked about the JBs and the Famous Flames and and later on, you know, other different musicians here and there. But, um, you know, if you find this record, you should buy it, especially if uh, you find it used, because apparently, like you said, it's it's hard to get. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, yeah, so like you said, you know, this album focuses on the band, which, uh, you know, James was part of. And uh, we're going to start off with this tune, Popcorn. And this is really a kind of a classic James Brown groove. You know, I mean, all all the parts are just, you know, so syncopated, like each instrument fits into its own little corner of the rhythm you know mm-hmm. but they're all locked in so tight i mean they're like cogs in a like a well calibrated clock oh yeah that's a great that's you know? a great uh, yeah i mean they're just <laughs> they're all they all fitting together exactly right they're all moving in perfect synchronization and uh yeah so great what do you think of popcorn yeah i i totally agree with you just uh James was, I mean, he is the rhythm king. I mean, there's nobody else like him that made music so syncopated and so tight. And um, when when you talk about, uh, when you talked about Ken Burns, Ken Burns did another documentary. I, and I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was on, but, but James Brown came up um, and I, and I, I want to say the subject was funk music. I mean, it, it might be the same. It might be the same documentary on jazz where they they kind of deviate. I, I'm I'm really trying to remember, but I know that that Ken Burns had a hand in this where they they lean on on the subject of James Brown and and his instrumental side, and and they show some footage of him where I mean, I mean it was just remarkable how tough and how tight those bands were. I mean, um, Maceo Parker, who who played with James forever, um, was just one of those those saxophone players that he was always in the groove, so to speak. And uh, Fred Wesley was on trombone. Um, Bootsy Collins played with with James for a minute there after I think the 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 Flames quit on him. Uh, James hired a band. Uh, that had uh, Bootsy Collins and his brother, uh, Catfish, where they, I mean, they just stepped right in and 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 basically, you know, picked up right where his his original band left off, but kind of went in a, a funkier direction, and um, you know, some of that is on this compilation. Also, I mean, he he just he's just so influential for for. A, a lot of people uh, back on the the last album we talked about the live at the Apollo. Apparently, I mean, I was kind of reading about this. The the MC Five song uh, "Kick Out the Jams" 
apparently was inspired by that album. Um, oh, okay. Well, they they listened to that. I, I, that's something I didn't know. Where, you know, they they took the explosiveness of that album and it kind of you know went in a, a different direction, but but was inspired by James. And I mean, like I said, his his influence really I think is is understated. I mean, a, a lot of people you know talk about him and love him. Prince is another person. When when people talk to Prince about you know the way he plays and his presence on stage. Um, you know, they ask about Jimi Hendrix and, and the first person he says, well, well, Johnny Mitchell's another, but Prince says James Brown. He says he was really a big influence on the way he plays his music, the way he would get in a groove and stay in a groove and, and definitely the way he danced. But uh, anyway, back on on the subject of this song, um, like you said, just just a great, great example of of how his groups were so on sync with each other. And I've, I've heard James, even in a song, like in a recording, you know, in the groove, so to speak, you know, kind of correct somebody when they're not in the groove. And a lot of times, like I said, we can't tell, but James can, you know, even if somebody's off a little bit, he, he will in rhythm, you know, just kind of say, you know, tighten up a little bit you know and it, it and they won't stop they won't you know pause i mean they just they just keep going like the song never you know was was messed up but but james you know could could even correct in rhythm which is it almost never happens you know it's just mm-hmm. just just a just a, a weird beautiful phenomenon to see somebody that's that talented you know be able to to end a song you know just kind of arrange and change things here and there, but still stay on beat, you know? Yeah, definitely. Let's check this out. This first tune uh, from Soul Pride, the instrumentals. This is Popcorn. to look at the cover because when they the, the soul pride cover that I, I saw originally 
<clears throat> from the, I guess from the book and, and from the Amazon, like the first picture is a little different from the one I remember. And when I looked at the one, cause we, we actually had this when we were like working, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And I look at the cover and I was like, you know what? I think I had this, <laughs> you know, really? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I did. Cause it was, it was like a box set, but it was only two discs and it was like one of the square. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, if you look at that cover, I, I guarantee you, you, you probably will remember this cover. It's, it's kind of got James when he kind of had his hair in a, I guess what you would call like a pompadour style. And yeah. it, it just slid out of like a box, like a little small box. It wasn't like a long yeah. corn box set where you open it. It was, but I was like, I remember this cover, you know? So, like I said, I get it was like one of those records that came out and then, you know, just went away for whatever reason. Just, Anyway, <coughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure we had it in the store because I mean, it, it, this was released in '92, and yeah, yeah, <coughs> yeah. That's I, I would say for sure yeah. we did. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I definitely remember that cover. So, like I said, it's just one of those releases, <coughs> I guess, that fell through cracks. I didn't I didn't realize the the price of it, you know, was was as demanding as it was. I look, I'm like, man. <laughs> I guess just you got some James Brown fans out there with some money. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, maybe it's so much on Amazon because of the packaging, you know, because it was in this nice box that probably had a lot of supplemental, you know, booklets and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you have if you have the original, it's probably yeah. worth having. Like I said, now that I mean, we kind of been talking about it. If I see it, I'm, oh, I'm scooping it up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, you should for sure. Um, so we're going to move on to this tune, Devil's Den. And, uh, you know, I wrote down that, you know, this tune really features the organ. And I guess, you know, because you mentioned that James Brown was a great organist. I didn't know that, man. So is oh, this, yeah. this is James on organ? Yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. He, uh, he was uh, an amazing organ player. I mean, he, he has some, especially some other live recordings. That That's another thing, too, about James. I mean, we, we talked about this before we started recording. He has just a ton of recordings, period. And, and it has quite a few live recordings. There are some albums where it's just James on organ and he's not singing at all. I mean, he's a very accomplished, amazing organ player, very good improvisation. Grew up, James grew up, you know, singing and, and I'm, I imagine learning how to play organ in church. And I mean, it, it shows, I mean, he, he is an amazing talent on, on that organ i mean yeah. he can get down i mean yeah. even if he didn't sing james probably could have made a career you know on organ you know because i mean like i said he he plays some drums too but i mean it's it's his organ playing to me that i mean he's an awesome organ player uh another person too uh, you know talking about the godfather soul queen of soul Rita franklin somebody else ton of releases great piano and organ player wonderful on, on piano and i mean that's i'm i'm assuming also too with her you know influence growing up in a church you know that there's so much that that can come you know from the youth of of learning how to play and sing you know instruments in church that i i think that that at times can be you know kind of overlooked but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where a lot of what james brings to the table uh, well, a lot of where that came from, even with um, with the fabulous flames, because that that's something too. I kind of wanted to talk about a little earlier. 
the the fabulous flames used to just be the flames and and james was just really just a part of that group you know he wasn't you know it wasn't like james brown and the flames it was it was just the flames but but james's talent and, and ambition was as such to where eventually he broke away from them and, and i mean i'm sure a lot of their harmonies and 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 kind of mindset again went with the church came from the church and and a lot of that influence you know it depending on your 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 spin on it is is sometimes frowned upon especially people in church where they feel like you shouldn't take that influence and make it secular but but James was just one of those people i mean he was just so bound for you know stardom i mean just i mean there was yeah. there was no way he could be contained i mean you know if he wanted to just do church music that would have been fine but I, I'm I'm glad he didn't. I mean, I'm glad he decided, you know, to to kind of, you know, become who he was, you know. And going back to, you know, this recording, "Devil's Den" was a, a song I first heard on um, the the box set that James Brown had released, "Star Time," and you know, the organ and that that saxophone just it stood out to me where I was like, you know, this is the side of James I really hadn't, you know, imagined or heard before when I first heard this song. And I mean, it just has a kind of, I guess, a sultry groove, if you mm -hmm. will, where it, it almost, it almost sounds like a song that you would hear in sort of like a gentleman's club back in the day. Um, and I mean, even the, the title of the song Devil's Den kind of, kind of leans to that and James occasionally will kind of call out in the song you know you know do anything that you want to do you know which I I kind of you know take that as you know you know this is like a song you would hear in a in a like I said like a gentleman's club or or you know a house of um how do you how would you say it ill repute <laughs> uh, yeah sure that's <laughs> uh yeah and so i mean that that's kind of what what i thought of you know when i first heard this song i mean it it just has like a just a nice kind of slow you know like uh grinding groove to it i mean and and, and the band just kind of you know leans on that that sort of uh atmosphere or emotion and all through this song i mean and i i just uh love how james is is able to to make music and and do it in a in a sense to where he's not you know pigeonholed at all by by much of anything i mean you know, he James could be jazzy if he wanted to be. As a matter of fact, I think he has an album where it's all kind of like jazz standards. And um, you know, I I love, like I said, I love the way you know the this song. It's just like a like a smoky like nightclub. You yeah. know yeah. the way it sounds. And um, yeah, I I I, I I'm thinking that. Um, or I, what did you think of this song? By the way, I'm, as I ramble on, I'm sorry. No, I, I dug it. I mean, I think you're you're right on the the sort of mood that it has. I mean, it's you know, it's yeah, it's like a uh, kind of a lean, mean twelve bar blues. I mean, really, is what this is. And uh, 
yeah, got really great organ solo. I, I, you know, like I said, I just found out that this was James Brown on the organ. So that's, that's really impressive. And, um, and also a, a really great and understated guitar solo, which, you know, you always hear guitar in James Brown, but you never really hear the guitar solo that much. You know, it's, it's, uh, used as a, a rhythmic device, just like almost everything else. Yeah. And uh, but you get to hear the guitar solo in this, but it's kind of interesting because it's kind of an understated solo. It never really quite comes out into the foreground. You know, it sort of stays back in its place, but it's still you, you get a guitar solo that's that's cool and yeah. Yeah, and I, I I I that's that's a good point. I mean, I think that's that's James's mindset to where everything is in the groove or everything is is sort of you know on the one like like sometimes people would say Bootsy talks about that where he he talks about being on the one uh, and and, it, and it's just like everything kind of will 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 kind of be together and at times you know the song you know and, and things in the song can kind of jump away but then it'll all kind of come back to to one central focus and I and, it, and like you said the get the guitar is it's it's nice it's understated but it never gets too far away from the original groove of, of what they're what they're on and um i think james was was really really cognizant of of that mentality um where he could he could take a groove and and kind of play with it but he never really let it go i mean he never really got too far away from from the the core groove of 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 what the song was about um i i i just i love this song and I, I love his instrumental side it's it's something i would love to explore a lot more and not like i was saying i mean he's got so many records i mean it, it's just amazing his output i mean over his his lifetime before he passed i mean even when he passed he was still recording i mean he he was a monster i mean the guy just he he never wanted to stop and and that's something i love about him he worked so hard i mean even as he got up in age where he wasn't able to do some of the things he did as he was younger he still he had he had just a work ethic that was it was crazy i mean yeah, you know yeah. just and just a grateful guy i mean james brown was somebody who every christmas <laughs> he would go back to his his hometown of augusta georgia and play Santa Claus where he would give Christmas presents away to kids that were like, you know, <laughs> wow, I did not know that, you know, that were poor, even even right before he died, which I think he died like did he I want to say it was like right before or after Christmas. I think it was after Christmas, the right before he died. As a matter of fact, he died on Christmas Day. There we go. He was still he was still doing that. I mean, up to that point, I mean. You know, James was just a guy that, I mean, and he grew up apparently, you know, when he was younger, he was, they were very, very poor. And he, he just never forgot that. He said he always wanted to give back, you know, no matter how big he got, he always wanted to give back to people who didn't have, especially kids. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, just a, just a remarkable guy. I mean, I, I just, I got a lot of love, you know, for yeah for his legacy um uh, that's awesome any, anyway yeah man well let's check this out this last track from soul pride the instrumentals 
This is Devil's Den. just heard Devil's Den from James Brown and we're going to move on to our last album for this episode um the album is Funk Power 1970 a brand new thing um <laughs> it, you know this I think this is another um compilation because it was released in 96 um but the song that Tom Moon wants everybody to listen to is Sex Machine yeah. yeah, which was on uh, this album. And uh, so we're gonna definitely going to listen to that. And we're going to listen to another tune from this. But, you know, listening to this stuff and comparing it to the live album from 1962 um, just shows what a great job that James Brown did uh, of kind of changing with the times. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, it's really different. Uh, and feel and attitude from that live album, you know, from the Apollo 1962. And it always fascinates me, this period of time in American history, you know, the early 60s to like 1970, let's say. It's like less than Mm -hmm. 10 years, how much everything changed. And you can really hear it in the music. You know, we talked about this when we covered the Beatles, you know, and it's just amazing to me in less than 10 years how much everything changed so drastically. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. We're going to start with, I, th- I thought we would end with Sex Machine. So we're going to start with um, Super Bad. Uh, so what do you think of this album or this this uh, tune? Um, the the album itself, like you said, it, it's it's kind of a, an interesting compilation because it's, it's like a couple of records that, like like the actual album Sex Machine, and then I, I think some other material that 
that I guess they just decided to put together. And I, I, I don't know what the 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 record label distributor was trying to trying to do. I guess, you know, just one of those things where they just wanted to kind of package, you know, different things together and see what would happen. But I mean, the music itself is is definitely much more funky than than James had had ever been before. And I mean that that was the attitude then where, you know, you know, funk was king. It's it's got to be funky, you know, at this period where, you know, the the crooning and everything, that's all right. But but people wanted it wanted it funky, especially in the in the early 70s to, to mid 70s. I mean, everything was about the groove. You know, um, I was I was kind of watching uh, a clip of, of, of Barry White, uh, you know, legendary singer producer, where he said in that period, you know, everything kind of went from harmony and 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 soul to just straight groove. He said, you know, music at that period you know, you didn't even have to say anything, which obviously, you know, we we kind of covered that on the last compilation of, of or the last title we talked about. You didn't even have to say anything. If the groove was tight enough, people would get on it, you know, and and and, and I think that's what James was kind of leaning on here where, you know, it was mainly about the groove. I mean, you have some singing here, but but the emphasis is on the the groove and the funk of the music. Um and and super bad was just one of those songs where James had kind of you know gone away from his original lineup you know for one of the first times and 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 had some some different things going on. I know that this is one of the songs that that Bootsy Collins is is on, who you know went on to you know kind of you know be one of the P Funk alumni, you know Parliament Funkadelic, you know with George Clinton, where where George Clinton kind of for a period there just took. You know, a big chunk of James Brown's band, and and went on tour with them. You know, Maceo Collins and you know the Horny Horns, and you know, anyway. Um, but this song in in particular, you know, it, it's just <laughs> James. You know, at, you know, at his best when it when it comes to you know rhythm and 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 charisma and. I mean, it just could, could be so together, you know, as, as as far as you know, keeping a groove on and 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 jamming in a song. Um, you know, like you said, there's there's so many parts, you know, just just very well oiled, you know, motor of a of a car, like a like a big, you know, sort of muscle car, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know they they just they just tick together so very well you know as a band you know this this particular lineup and um you know i i think james uh, was was just kind of getting started you know when it when it came to you know his funkier sound i mean because because this song has a nice groove but you know he got even funkier as 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 time would progress so to speak um but uh anyway uh, i I, I love Superbad. I, I I mean, this is another song from also from his box set, um, and it's just one of those songs that uh, you know he just gets to kind of show off. You know, even even in the lyrics, you know, I've got soul, and I'm super bad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I just I I just always love James's James's charisma. I mean, he just you know so confident in himself and 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 in his you know ability to 
you know, get his point across in, in a song, you know, um, just a, a, a great example of that here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I love this song, man. Super. It, it's this is the the James Brown that I was that I knew, you know. Um, I guess that I heard most, you know, or heard first or whatever. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So I don't know, man. Let's 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 play this. I think it speaks for itself. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is uh, Super Bad by James Brown. Watch me, I got it, hey, I got something that makes me want to shout, I got something that tells me what it's all about, I got soul and I'm super bad, I got soul and I'm super bad, now I gotta move that tells me what to do Sometimes I tell Now I gotta move That tells me what to do Sometimes I feel so nice I wanna try myself a few I got soul And I'm super bad I'm love I love to do my thing And I don't need No one else So nice, good God. I jump back, I wanna kiss myself. I've got soul, <laughs> and I'm super bad. Hey, I said I'm super bad. just heard super bad and we're going to move on to the track that uh, is really talked about in the book sex machine um yeah what do you think of sex machine oh so tight that's the one thing that comes to my mind is his, his band at this point they're they're very very tight they're sold together um especially the the way james kind of you know, as the song goes along, you know, kind of improvises here and there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, too, um, one thing I, I I like to talk about is uh, James has a uh, Bobby Bird by his side on this song, and and the emphasis on on Bobby Bird's part of this song because Bobby, you know, was was one of the original, you know, Flames or the Fabulous Flames 
that that backed up James on vocals. But but as time goes on, Bobby kind of becomes like James's sideman, if you will. And I mean, you know, sometimes that that kind of might seem like you know it's a uh, a role that's sort of you know demeaning or whatever, but not really in this case. Bobby's you know sort of call and response to James as as he's talking in the song is so important to to keeping the groove going. You know, because James will call out and say something, and Bobby will just kind of maybe jump back in with "Yeah," you know. And I mean, the emphasis on that in this song is so important because, like I said, it just helps to keep the groove going. And I mean, he's a he's a background singer, but he's also like a a partner in song where you know he he goes along with the rhythm as the song goes on. And and I mean, you know. The part of this song where James says, can we hit it and quit it? And Bobby and the rest of the band, they scream back, yeah. You know, I mean, that being in the rhythm of the song, I mean, it really is is so important. You don't really think about it. If you've heard this song, you might take it for granted. But but the working of, of that interplay between James Brown and and, and Bobby Bird is, is huge. <laughs> I mean, along with the music yeah, yeah. itself. And um to, to be able to sort of play the cadence of the drums the way they do and then to just stop on a dime, you know, uh-huh. it's just, it's still awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I've heard this yeah. song like, you know, a hundred times, but like I said, they were, they were very, very tight. They were so together with each other. I mean, I don't, I can't really think of too many other groups that had rhythm like, like this particular James Brown lineup, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that maybe maybe there were, but but not that I know of. I mean, they were they were incredible. Uh-huh. I mean, as a band, I mean, just they were just amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this groove that they come up with um, could just go forever. It could, you know, yes. it's just this thing that could just exist, you know, forever. <laughs> um, and you can you can really. Um, do a lot of stuff on top of it. It's just so tight. It, it forms just this, this most solid of foundations, you know, that you can just do a lot with, you know, on top of it. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, let's just play it. Yeah. It's just, you know, like you said, there's, there's not too much you can, you can add to some of this. It's just, just a very, very incredible example of, of how talented and, and, and an amazing mind that James Brown had for for rhythm. Uh, I mean, just uh, more than being the Godfather of soul, James Brown to me is is really like the rhythm king. There's nobody else who had rhythm and groove quite like James Brown. I mean, nobody. I mean, a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. They they were great musicians and had great grooves, but but James really he took it so he took it to to another level like nobody else I've ever seen. And again, just his, his live performance as well as in the studio. Cause that's another thing too, that's, that's so important. So many people could, could, could be awesome in the studio and get on stage and, and just couldn't bring the same energy. James not only brought that energy, but extra energy that, that you wouldn't get from a studio recording. And I mean, I think that's another thing about his legacy is that his, his live performances were, I mean, they were just on fire, you know, I mean, in yeah. a way that 
maybe even in the studio, he couldn't bring it, you know, the way he would on stage. But uh, anyway, like you said, let's uh, let's listen to this last song. Um, get up. I feel like being a sex machine by James Brown. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like a like a sex machine, man. Moving, doing it, you know. Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. Get up, get on up. Get up, get on up. Stay on the scene. Get on up, like a sex machine. Get on up. Get up, get on up. Get up, get on up. Stay on the scene. Get on up, like a sex machine. Get on up. Get up. Machine. Wait a minute, shake your arm, then use your palm. Stay on the scene, like a sex machine. You got to have the feeling, sure your bone. Get it together, right on, right on. Get up, get on up. Get up, get on up. Get up, get on up. being a sex machine by james brown and i think that's it for this week that is it for episode 28 yeah so if you want to send us an email you can send us one to 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can join us on twitter at twitter.com slash 1000 rp you can join me on twitter at twitter.com slash anthony landman you can join mitch at twitter.com slash what is it i forgot (laughs) oh (laughs) um MLD tweet. Yeah, uh, so thank you. MLD tweet. Uh, that's Mitch on Twitter. Um, you can join us on Facebook. And if you uh, really enjoy the show, or hey, hey, if you really don't enjoy the show too, uh, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating, and that will help us get out to other potential listeners um, greatly. If you could go and, and we will read your review on the show if uh, if it's a five star review, <laughs> even maybe if it's a one star review, we'll read. Yeah, that on we, the show. We, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to be prejudiced if you if you think we suck, you know that's that's fine. Yeah, you know we we're, we're going to keep doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've been very lucky so far. We've gotten a lot of great reviews, all of them five stars, and we appreciate everybody out there. Yes, that has yes. Uh, gone to iTunes to do that and and joined us on Facebook and uh, 
and joined our little 1000 recordings community. Um, and, uh, let's see next week. What do we got coming up next week? Um, Oscar Brown Jr. Sin and soul. Um, Miss Ruth Brown with Miss Rhythm. Um, Jackson Brown's Late for the Sky. Um, Anton Bruckner, Symphony Number no. 7 and E. Uh, looks like a, a massive symphonic homage to Wagner, is yeah. what it says. <laughs> and then uh, Jeff Buckley's Grace, uh, legendary iconic at this point recording from jeff buckley which yeah. uh I, I cannot wait to really talk about that i that is one record that i was so wrong about initially uh oh really oh uh, yeah yeah because yeah. what I, did you think initially <clears throat> excuse me I, I think it's just one of those situations where because uh, I'll, I'll be honest i did not like it when i first heard it um and uh and i think it was just one of those things where I mean, when it first came out, it was so huge. People were just, it was like they were just hammering you about this record. It's like, man, you have to hear this record. It's so good. And at first I was just kind of like, I don't know, almost resisting <laughs> liking it. And then I, I kind of just had to get away from the hype of the record and then sat down and was like, man, okay, now I kind of see what they're talking about, you know, so um yeah but that's that's one record i almost really i almost missed the bus on that one all together when it first came out um but, well you uh, know when that record first came out i did miss the bus altogether I, mean, I didn't discover this record until probably 10 years after it was released oh really and um what first brought me to jeff buckley was uh you know because because when this album came out I, it was right when i had gone to music school and uh, I was in music school for a long time, like 11 years. And, uh, you know, I was really, really just, uh, you know, up to my eyes in classical music scores and all this stuff. I wasn't really paying attention, you know, to what was coming out in, uh, in popular music. And so what first drew me to Jeff Buckley, you know, last week we covered uh, Peter Grimes at uh, that Benjamin Britten opera. And I uh -huh. said in a couple of weeks we're gonna we're gonna hear Benjamin Britten again. Oh. You remember me saying that? Yeah, I do. Okay, one of the tracks on Jeff Buckley's Grace is by Benjamin Britten. Oh, okay. And which I want to play next week, but that's what drew me to it. You know, I thought, wait a minute, Benjamin Britten on a pop Jeff album? Bu yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's a man. His version of the song is just so beautiful, but mm. um. And then I went to this live album he put out called Live It, or they, I think maybe they put out after his death, I'm not sure, but Live It Cine, I think it's or something like that. And if you just l listen to this album just all the way through from beginning to end, man, I was just, the first time I listened to it, I was just blown away by hmm. how talented this guy was. Um, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go look at that. I, 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 I hadn't heard the, the live album him at all yeah uh, it's man it's truly something to hear and, and you really you know you shouldn't go through it like piecemeal you should just listen to it from beginning to end okay and okay. uh it's just him in this small club in new york uh recorded before this album was recorded so it was recorded when he was just a sort of a local phenomenon in that part of new york before he was famous yeah and uh it's truly 
something to hear. But oh, cool. Um, cool. Anyway, yeah. So that's what we got for next week. And uh, yeah, anything else before we go? Uh, let's see. There was something. Oh yeah. Apparently, uh, Donald Duck Dunn from Booker T and the MGs passed away uh, late last night. Really? Uh, okay, I didn't yeah, heard that. Yeah, I uh, a friend of mine, uh, a Facebook friend of mine, posted on her wall about that uh, from Steve Cropper's page, and uh, I think they were in Japan, and he they were on tour, and he passed away in his sleep. So I just wanted. Oh to, wow. I just wanted to mention that uh, Doug Dunn, you know, Booker T and the MGs bass player, he was, uh, I guess, what you would think of as a studio sessions man that was a journeyman. I mean, he he played with so many people. I mean, and so many famous songs that you would never match. Like I was just going through his history. Uh, the there's a song Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers did with Stevie Nicks, uh, "Stop Dragging My Heart Around." Um, he played bass on that. I didn't know that. Um, just kind of shooting through. And I mean, so many other, you know, great, famous pop and soul and blues tunes. I mean, he was all over the place. And not just yeah, with Booker yeah. T and the MGs. And obviously was uh, was in the Blues Brothers movie uh, and was a member of that that group, the Blues Brothers, originally. that I think that's one of the first places I ever really noticed him. I mean, away from, you know, hearing, you know, old Booker T and the MGs. I mean... I mean, he actually has, you know, dialogue in that movie where he talks, and, you know. Anyway, uh, Doug Dunn was quite a quite a character, uh, definitely going to be missed. Uh, I didn't want to go, you know, by, especially after we had just kind of talked about them a few weeks ago um, without mentioning that. So. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Well, man, yeah, I, I just, I didn't know. So, yeah, R.I.P. Donald Duck Dunn. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay, so I guess we'll see everybody next week for some more music. Yep, should be fun. All right, man. Well, I'll see you and everybody next week. All right, bye, Tony. Bye, everybody. 